Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West, and today's episode is one that was recorded earlier in the year, all the way back in January. Remember that? Pre-pandemic, you know, when we were in simpler times. But the subject itself is timeless. Because why is it that a group of well-meaning, godly people can come together as a team for the purpose of leading a local church, the body of Christ, only to experience nothing but disunity, frustration, suspicion, and if nothing else, just have a disheartening and confusing experience? Sadly, too many elder boards and lay leadership teams go through this kind of thing. But it doesn't have to be that way. Which is why I sat down with EFCA West's Director of Church Health, Bob Osborne, to talk about how to build a healthy elder team. Now, if there's anyone who understands leadership teams, it is Bob Osborne. In addition to being an elder at the same church in Southern California for some 40 years, Bob also spent decades in the L.A. County Sheriff's Department and even was the operational commander during the L.A. riots back in the early 90s. Bob's experience in working with multiple teams at multiple levels, in addition to the many churches he has consulted with in his role with EFCA West, makes him the perfect person to help us figure out what it takes to build an elder team that experiences the type of health and has the type of functions and meetings and environment that you actually want to be a part of, and something that can set the tone then for the health of the rest of the church. So let's go now to my interview with Bob Osborne. Today, we are going to talk about elders. And by the way, when I say elders, I don't mean old people, although there could be some old people who are elders. I also don't mean guys wearing white shirts, riding bikes, knocking on your door, trying to tell you about, you know, another testament. I'm talking about church leaders. And there's nobody better to talk with us about church leaders than Bob Osborne, who was on our EFCA West staff. So I want to welcome Bob to the podcast. Bob, how's it going? Hey, it's good to be with you, Tim. Good to be with you. You know, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time because when I first met you, you know, I was sitting in these EFCA West meetings and I would hear you talk about eldership and the uniqueness of being EFCA and our polity and the strengths and weaknesses that accompany that. And I would sit there, I would remember listening to this going, we have got to get this out there so more people can hear, more of our pastors and our leaders can hear about how eldership should really work successfully in a church and, and how to avoid so many of the mistakes and problems. So I've been wanting to do this for a long time is to sit down with you and just talk about this whole topic. But before we do, I would just love to get to know you a little bit more, have our, our listeners get to know you a little bit more. I'm surprised at the amount of people in our district who don't really know you. They know your name, but they're like, well, who is that guy? So tell us a little bit about your role with the FCA West and how long you've been with us and, and your background as well. Sure, Tim. I mean, it's a great privilege to be a part of the EFCA West team and to serve the, the churches in the EFCA West district. Um, probably the easiest way to describe who Bob is is just to, to start at the beginning of his faith in Christ at age six. I was one of those kids who was in church. The, I think I was born on a Thursday and a week from Sunday I was in the church nursery. So I was saved at an early day. I've, I've been in and involved, heavily involved in, in churches uh, all of my life. Uh, when it came time to, to pick a career, I actually picked a career in law enforcement. I worked for the Sheriff's Department in Los Angeles County for 38 years. And then uh, I retired, and I thought I'd be a retired guy uh, when uh, your predecessor, Steve Highfill, uh, asked me if I would like to join this team as the uh, director of church health. And it was one of those things where, you know, I thought about it for a second and a half and said, yeah, I, I would love to do that. It, mm. it just kind of feels like I spent my whole life uh, training for this. But I've been involved in the same church for 43 years. Wife and I have atten started attending that before we got married. I just kind of naturally migrated towards serving in leadership capacities. And I'm just one of those guys that, you know, the people at, at, uh, at our church, they just kind of think, I'm the perpetual board member. So that, that's kind of how I, I got here. Yeah. And I've been uh, working with the AFCA West team now for just shy of six and a half years. So let me ask you this, because you, you have a law enforcement background. Is there anything about your role and the length of service that you had in the LA County Sheriff's Department that in 
could have maybe prepared you for what you're doing now? I mean, any similarities, anything like that? Well, there, there were a number of things as I, you know, as I look back on it, it always amazes me how you look backwards in your life and you can see how God kind of got you where you are. And so when I think about my career in law enforcement, one of the things I always joke about is I was never, I never did line level stuff long enough to get any good at it. My, my career trajectory was to climb the ranks. And so I spent probably two thirds, the last two thirds of my career dealing in management and uh, anyone who's worked in uh, you know, government and in law enforcement knows that it is policy driven, it's manual driven, it's, you know, structures and systems and uh, being strategic and all those kinds of things. And so I, I kind of practiced what I encourage churches to do now for probably the last 20, 25 years of my law enforcement career. Yeah. I mean, having clear structures, uh, clear communication, because that's where a lot of the problems develop, right? Oh, yeah. Some, I mean, a couple of my favorite phrases actually come out of my law enforcement career, right? I, I love to say things like, um, you know, clarity is our friend. Mm-hmm. You know, churches come up with ambiguous missions and policies and stuff. And, and in order to have clarity, we have to remember that words matter. And so the word you use has to be the right word to get the correct outcome you want. And, and all the years I spent in policy development and writing policies and uh, those kinds of things, I think, prepared me to help churches uh, you know, work to clarity in their uh, leadership functions. You often say the phrase, clarity is our friend. I've heard you say that a lot. Well, probably too many times. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it's, it's good, though, because I think that's, that's where the because without clarity, you have confusion. And then with confusion, you have people questioning motives and all that stuff and things begin to go sideways and they don't have to because good people can argue over things that they maybe should never have argued over, but they're put in those situations because the policies and the structure wasn't clear. Yeah, I I like to, uh, I oftentimes will will share with people that I think that the number one cause of discord, uh, interpersonal discord, including in churches, including in church boards, is the is unmet expectations Mm. i expected one thing and something else happened and oftentimes the way to prevent that is just to have clarity at the front end of what those expectations are yeah so then in addition to being in the sheriff's department you also uh, how long have you been an elder in your church? Oh, gosh. I, um, I Well, if I say how long, you'll know my age. But I was one of those guys. I was leading a Bible study in our church in my very late 20s. And we came to 1 Timothy 3. And, uh, you know, the Bob paraphrase is if a person uh, desires the office of overseer, it's a one, you know, it's a fine work they desire to do. And uh, I thought to myself, perhaps I should desire that. And so I talked to, I tracked down our our board chairman. And by the time I was about 30, I was a member of our church's board. And I've been that guy that's been on and off, on and off. We have a term limit. So, you know, we have to take a year off every once in a while. But I've just been that guy at the church who actually loves that ministry. I, I call it the service of leadership in a congregation. Yeah. I just love it. It energizes me. And uh, I, I keep getting allowed to go back and do it over and over again. So you've the, the one of the other things I really thought about you talking um, or, or getting on this podcast was the fact that you've been a board member for so long that you've got some interesting things to share, I think, or perspectives about the other side of it, because a lot of pastors are going to listen to this and perhaps maybe some board members as well, but you, you see things from the board side. And so you've got unique perspectives and insights on that as well. And I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love there the people I think I love the most in the church are people who work in leadership, mm-hmm. who serve in leadership. I love pastors. I love staff. I love uh, board members. I, I love key lay leaders. Uh, I just want them to, to be able to be effective in their ministry. I want them to be, to enjoy their ministry. There are tough times, you know, there are tough ministry times, yeah. but you know, it should be a good thing. It's a fine work you desire to do. That's right. Well, you know, and, and so picking up on that, then when we, we get our idea, cause, cause church denominations have different ideas of governance and structure and what they mean when they say elder and that kind of thing. Um, EFCA has, has some interesting, has some uniqueness about how we are typically governed and structured. Um, how, how do you see, what, what, what's it, what is the, how would you typically describe our, our governance as EFCA? 
What I like to describe it as is, is basically it's uh, uh, staff-led, elder-governed congregationalism. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't translate to every church. Smaller churches are going to be far more congregational. Large churches are going to be far more staff-driven. But basically, we, we, want, we want staff to lead. Yeah. We hire them to be leaders and managers and directors of, of things, and we want them to do that. And we want the board members, we want them to govern well. We want them to set direction and guidelines and, and, and do the things. And there's certain corporate things that we have to do in whatever state we're in that, that has you know various laws about what corporate officers do. And then we also want the congregation to be able to put the brakes on. We want the congregation to be able to say, whoa, Nellie, I think we're straying from scripture. Um, not because we expect leaders to do that, but because sadly we all know of situations in churches where the leadership has gone astray. So I, I like to use the, the, the idea of, of staff-led, elder-governed congregationalism. Yeah, good. Where do we get our, I mean, we look at 1 Timothy 3. And so when we look at that, we see, you know, the word elder in there. And it, it means overseer, right? Um, but I guess the question that I want to ask about this is, you know, how does, how does the concept that you see in 1 Timothy 3, how does that fit what we typically do in EFCA? Because I think if we're honest, like a lot of times our elders, I mean, they, they function more like a, like a corporate board 20th century kind of deal, like you kind of alluded to, than... You know, because honestly, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I when I was um, the many years I was a senior pastor, I had great guys that were my elders, but you know, able to teach. I mean, they would maybe they could lead a a, a Bible study or whatever, but I'm not going to put them on stage to preach because I, I don't want the church to tank. So, I mean, what what what's how does that word and that concept um, and then kind of fit with the FCA structure? Well, I think one one of the important things to to note is that not every EFCA church has elders that lead there. There are a lot of different churches, uh, uh, structures out there that, um, uh, that describe their, their leadership, uh, structures. One of the things in, in the United States today that wasn't in the first century is that our elders also typically serve as the board of directors, a, a legal entity. Mm -hmm. Our churches are, uh, are incorporated. We encourage that. There are all kinds of liability and, you know, other reasons for a church to incorporate as soon as they can. Um, but the, the, whoever it is, uh, and, and I, I would say most of our churches call their leadership board elders. Um, but one of their, their, uh, main responsibilities is also to comply with all the corporate uh, rules for boards of directors. So there's this constant tension between being shepherds and overseers and mm -hmm. godly examples and mm -hmm. all that stuff, and also fulfilling the corporate fiduciary responsibilities that a board of directors has. And what, what, what I like to suggest to churches is that it's, you know, balance is hard to get at in anything. And I don't think it's a balancing act, but I think the key is for the, is for elders to be, very careful that they're working in both arenas appropriately mm. in both arenas and not, you know, not just come together as the board of directors, not just come together as a bunch of godly guys who are going to pray about everything and, and, and talk about scripture together, but as a group of people who are actually going to do both those required functions. That is so awesome. What you just said, because I think that again, going back to clarity is our friend. And, and we have to be honest that in the time in which we live now, in the place that which we live now in America with our, our rules and laws and, and just basic understanding of structure, that both of those roles are necessary. There's the spiritual leadership part, the character, the integrity, all the stuff in First in Timothy 3, to be sure. But there's also that ability, some type of organizational leadership ability. Or at least organizational leadership understanding, right? Right. I mean, there, there's a, there's an actual, there's an actual responsibility. There's a requirement that your board act like a board. Mm -hmm. It's required 
There's, I mean, these are, are legally imposed responsibilities that a board has. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons when, you know, I, I look at scripture, you know, everybody quotes First Timothy 3 and, and, and Titus 1. I like to throw in first Pete, the beginning of First Peter 5 as, you know, some of the things that, that mm-hmm. elders um, should do. And I always like to say that's just the start. That's the mm. character qualifications that that doesn't address very much the issue of competency. Mm. Yes, that is fantastic because, you know, like I know for me, um, we've had I, we've had times where or I've known, let's say, really godly guys and people would say, well, hey, we got to put this guy on the board. And, and it's true that he was a godly guy. All the qualities of First Timothy three were there, but I realized that he was in a in a career field or even of a certain mindset that if he saw our annual budget, or if he was in a room where we were trying to make a decision about moving forward, that that those types of discussions and types of decisions were just out of his lane. Right, right. You we, know what I mean? Oh yeah, we. I oftentimes hear from uh, people who serve on church boards who uh, are just thoroughly frustrated by the work that they do. They don't like it. It's unpleasant. Um, you know, they just, they, they want to be godly guys. They want to want to have Bible studies and I'm all for that. And so I just say, just don't put them in a leadership capacity. And in fact, let's find a creative way for someone that is that good in the, in the, the spiritual disciplines, the spiritual realm. Let's find a way for uh, him or her to influence the church. Mm-hmm. but they don't have to be on the board. Yeah. I just want to go back to, cause you, you know, you threw out a bit of a curveball, and I'm not a curveball, but, but most people, when they think of, of elders, they go to first Timothy three, they talk about Titus and, and once in a while they'll, they'll reference first Peter five. I just want to read it real quick because I think it's important. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And and in there, it's interesting that you brought that up because even in there, I, I see or I can pick out and apply today those structural competency concerns. Yeah, that, that, that's a big deal. And one of the issues is that, that idea of uh, where, where I really love to land. I love to, I've done a few uh, leadership retreats and I focused on this issue. Prove to be an example to the flock. Mm-hmm. You want elders in your church that are an example of what a, an appropriate Christian in your church is like yeah because they're an example they set the example that's what leaders do that's what shepherds do they go ahead they take the sheep where they need to go they take care of the sheep by moving them from where they are to where they need to be so given given that some of the the uh the foundational stuff that we've talked about here and and i really want to drive that point home because i think it's very important that anyone listening to this understand that we cannot over spiritualize this role and in so doing ignore lack of competency in certain areas. And there's, there's a lot more kind of tangents. I want to go down that cause I think it's extremely important, but let me give you uh, let me ask you this question then given that what are two or three of the biggest mistakes that pastors make when it comes to, to leading or dealing with, with elder boards um, just in your experience? Well, I, uh, you know, I, I, I've actually thought about that, that question and, uh, it, it kind of changes from time to time. What I'd say the, the two to three would be based on what, what's the most recent issue that I've had to deal with, with, with churches. But I think, I think they actually fit into, uh, pretty much three, uh, main categories. The first one is failure to guard the gate, picking the wrong mm. people to be an elder. Yeah. If you don't pick the right people, you're going to end up with the wrong people. 
And you, we, we just we just talked about that. Oh, just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of ways that that a person can seem like the, a good pick. And if you really don't think about it, you don't think about the work they're going to do, the atmosphere they're going to work in. Uh, they become a bad pick. I think one of the areas where churches potentially uh, oftentimes will make a bad choice is when the church has someone who's a who's a godly person who has leadership skills and is a high powered executive somewhere. Now, I never say never pick that person, Mm -hmm. but I do say be very, very cautious because that person tends to spend their whole life being the point of the spear leader. Mm -hmm. Uh, Typically, it's a he and he's the person at at the front and other people say yes, sir, and they do what he directs. Even the great leaders in the corporate world like that, they listen to people, you know, they get their ideas together, but then they make the final decision. And if you create an elder scenario, a board scenario in a church where you're looking for unity and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that leader has to lead differently because they're in a different leadership environment. They're now in a team decision-making environment Mm. where they have to be willing to have strongly held ideas and set them aside for the benefit of the team. And you know, it can be really hard uh, for some leaders to actually shift gears like that. I've found when you you mentioned guarding the gate and specifically, you know, the corporate guy who who's the great rock star leader. Uh, and I've fallen victim to that at times because you think that because they can go, they function really well in that capacity that it will translate into the church um, capacity or, or, and sometimes I think even maybe they, they look at church work and they go, ah, that's going to be, you know, I can do that. I'm, I'm already doing it. I'm killing it out here in the secular world. I mean, how hard can it be? It's just church. Um, and then I've been sorely disappointed over the years in that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think the key is, like I said, I, I would never say never right. select someone like that because there are people who can shift gears. But I think most of the, the, the I, it's in, in my experience, most of the strong type A leaders, uh, very decisive, very opinionated, all that kind of stuff, they're, they're not really great in a board environment. Mm. And we as wise church leaders, then we have to leverage them in another way. And how would you do that? Well, it, at my own church, we have several guys who, who I respect immensely. And one of the ways that we leverage them is I just talk to them in the back of the church after services. Hey, we're thinking about fill in the blank. What do you think? Mm. They love God. They love the church. They have these great minds. But if they had to sit in our board meeting and deliberate that with five or six other people for an hour and a half, they would go nuts. Right. No, it's funny because I, yeah, I, I know guys and they're, and there's people, the people that are wired like that, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh no, nothing. No. It's, it's wonderful. It's how God made him, but you're doing your board and them a disservice because they're going to walk in, they're going to suck the, the oxygen out of the room. And because it's going to be all, all about, because that's how they're, that's just how they're used to living. So guarding the gate is, is uh, that's fantastic. Cause that's probably, I think it, it's, it's like they say, it's really easy to hire. It's really hard to fire. Oh yeah. Especially in a church board scenario i mean i can't uh, you know some guys are just waiting for people to die i I usually say in a church environment no matter how bad you are at whatever you do you have a support system there you have people who who just want to love on you and Mm -hmm. you know all that guys they're very hard to remove somebody from leadership that uh isn't isn't uh, actually performing uh up to expectations well you know the second thing that that i'd mentioned there is just this there's this thing that I see out there, and I tend to see it mostly from pastors towards the board, but it's the pastors seeing their board, their elders, as obstacles to be overcome rather than as wise counsel, supporters, and teammates in ministry. So it's, it's this idea that, man, I was, I, was, I was with the Lord on a mountaintop, and the Lord gave me this great vision, and I shared it with you, and you all didn't love it. Mm. And it's like, oh, so now I have to figure out a way to overcome this obstacle. And so the, the board becomes this, this group to be, it, you know, where you want to navigate a go around. 
instead of actually win them. You, you, we, we decide that, oh, our board members aren't wise. They aren't counselors. They aren't teammates in ministry. They're, they're mm -hmm. an obstacle. And I think from the board perspective, what happens is that sometimes the boards do just the opposite of that. And they see their pastor not as a leader and a, and a fellow elder in, in, in his own right, but as someone that I need to supervise and manage, yes, you know, and so that's that's the same problem. Looking at it from two different directions, you you kind of even hit on another question I was going to ask about that. But but it's, how do you solve that? Because you have, I mean, it's interesting that that if you look at our structure and then the way it's executed, a lot of times the pastor is held accountable for outcomes that the board decides or the board has to decide. So I'll hear, you know, I'll hear pastors and they'll say, well, I really want to do X, but my board won't let me. And I'm, so it's either, so either like, that's a really bad idea what you're trying to do. So why do you want to do that? Yeah. Or, can I, uh, can I just interrupt? Yeah. As a board member, see that, that pastor thinks by saying that he's communicating that he thinks he's a special board member. Mm. Right. That the other board members should just follow. He's, he's not a peer. These are not teammates. He's not mm. he's not seeing them as teammates in ministry, co-owners of the vision. And and you can't I can't support just mindlessly support the pastor and do my responsibility uh, as an elder. So then at the same time, though, you know, we say phrases like first among equals, you know, and whatever. And he's the the senior pastor is is the only guy that's actually employed by the church who's whose full-time mission is to lead so how does he then lead it, if he get he let's because he, you know we pay the pastor the church is the church pays the pastor and the board expects the pastor to go up onto the mountaintop and get the vision right, and all that kind of right. stuff so then how do you fix that wide gap I, I again i go you know clarity is our friend and words matter so i don't use the phrase first among equals Okay. What I like to say is uh, our pastor has unique gifts and skills and knowledge, abilities, temperaments. He's, he's uniquely gifted by God, and so is every other board member. And what we choose to do is to, we want to listen very, very carefully to our lead pastor in those areas in which he's skilled and gifted, right? We want him to lead in those areas. But we don't want him to lead in areas in which he's not skilled and gifted. And sometimes there's an area where none of us are. I remember a while back we were talking about HVAC systems, trying mm -hmm. to figure out what we needed to do. And we finally just stopped at the lunacy of this. And we all looked at each other and said, does anybody here know a darn thing about HVAC systems? And the answer was no. <laughs> you know, does anybody in the church know something? Oh, yeah, we got three or four people that actually, you know, do that for a living. Well, let's ask them to solve this problem yeah. and tell us what we should do instead of trying to do it ourselves. Yeah. So, we, you know, the, this idea that the pastor is first among equals, I know, I know what we're trying to say, but we, I think that just expresses it awkwardly. Um, because does that mean he's first among equals in every single thing? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Mm -hmm. And I like it. Now, I don't demean my pastor uh, by this, but just describing he and I and our relationship on the board. Um, I'm a highly structured, systematic person. I can take us from where we are to where we want to go. I can plot the course. I can do all the logistics. Uh, but I'm not really good at dreaming up where we should go. He's really good at that. Mm -hmm. And so even in our board meetings, the questions oftentimes will be, uh, you know, well, uh, you know, we'll ask our pastor, like, what are you seeing? You know, what's what's the vision? He'll share the vision and someone will say, how do you get there? And then people look at me because I'm good at that. You know, they don't necessarily look at my pastor and say, well, not, you, you dreamt up this vision. Now you got to make it work because we're teammates in ministry. And I think the other thing is that a board should never. I, I cannot imagine myself as a board member hanging my pastor out to dry. What do you mean by that? If, if, if there's something that we all agree is an important thing to do and we do it, I'm not going to let my pastor take a bullet of, of criticism. That's my job as a board member. I like to say I'm much more dispensable than my pastor is. If someone has to take accountability for something that went wrong in the mission and the vision in those kind I'm not talking about misconduct, but you know, mission and vision and trying something that didn't work. Um, 
I, I want to say that's the board's job to own that, not to hang their pastor out to dry. Well, and that goes back to even setting ground rules as, as have for how you function as a team. You know, the whole idea of, hey, when we're in the room, we can we can duke it out. We can speak honestly and openly. But when we leave this room, we walk out unified. And, I, you know, you've all one of the challenges is you hear then what happens is the or they say, you know, that there's the meeting after the meeting. Right. Right. Or there's the meeting in the parking lot or the elder will go out and say, well, we all decided this. But what I really feel is 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 that. Right. And I think we again, clarity is our friend. Training is our friend. Helping people learn. We, our church, we just brought in uh, one of our elders uh, beginning of this year who has not served as an elder in a church before. And one of, the, one of my roles as our board chairman was to actually take him under our wing. And we actually have written documents that describe certain things. But one of the things is that uh, the discussion is more important than the decision. If the discussion isn't open and honest and everybody shares, then we're going to come up with a decision not based on all the facts. Hmm. The other thing that's really important is that none of us have an opinion after the board has decided something. And we even train him. If, you know, it's like, you know, I'll use my name. So it's, you say, hey, Bob, here's the deal. After we've argued and discussed and, and you know, work through and come up with the best decision possible under the circumstances, then look, we unite around that decision. And that becomes what the elders think. And if anybody asks you, well, what did you think? The answer is, well, the elders decided. It doesn't matter what you think. I, I don't have an opinion on a subject that the elders have decided together. So what you have brought up is almost a third category in all of this because we like we talked about okay there's the spiritual side we want our uh, we want our elders to be um, to to know the to know the word to be to be spiritually mature from the standpoint of you know they they love Jesus they understand the gospel they get the mission they get the vision we also want them to have a structural a sense of competency when it comes to to business we like I, I always said you know hey, I don't want my I don't want our elders to be afraid of zeros, you know, like uh, when they see a budget and there's a bunch of zeros, not that not we had a ton of zeros, but you know, it's like there's, everyone's got that point where like that one extra zero freaks them out. Like really that much money. And so, because a lot of times maybe if they're, if they're just in a, in a profession, they don't have to manage any money or deal with any money. They, they're not used to that kind of thing. And so that can kind of freak them out. So they got to have some awareness and openness and understanding of all that. But then this other side that you bring up is really kind of like a, and what I might call like an EQ or a self-awareness. And this happened recently to me, actually. I was talking with a pastor and he introduced me to a guy that was, um, that was in his leadership. And this guy, I, as we began to talk, I realized this guy has, is like a die-in-the-world Christian. I mean, he's, he's, he knows, he understands his church. He's been there for a long time, free church guy. Um, understands how to understands organization organizational leadership but i i got a very bad vibe like there was like there was a sense of like yeah i know scripture but but he just kind of uh and i don't want to go into too much detail but really was a had a very ungodly attitude about just kind of some of the things he was saying in terms of other people and and not even really recognizing the fact that that i didn't even know this guy yet and we hadn't like maybe if we hadn't been together for like or hung out for like five or ten years and you were sitting around one night talking and he could say yeah this guy really bothers me but right out of the gate and so it made me think about a lot of our a lot of our leaders they they may they may know church well they 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 look they know how to dress the part and do the part and and they know scripture and everything else and then there there may be even decently organizational leadership but there isn't that other component that is by the way expected even in secular businesses as, as well right I mean we have certain expectations even in a secular business you're not going to you're not going to go out of the meeting and, and trash everybody in the meeting. So, so what about that other EQ part? Cause I think we overlook that and we say, well, this person's really godly because they've been at the church for a long time. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, I, again, I, I see the aftermath of that on a fairly regular basis. Yeah. Um, but again, I think that goes back to the first point, which is guarding the gate. It's like, why would we appoint someone to serve as an elder that we don't know well enough? We don't know how they treat people. You know, why, why do we do that? I, I, you know, we, a lot of churches have, have uh, 
I'll say ineffective uh, selection processes that, that don't actually screen out people that shouldn't be there. One of the things I like to say is that, especially when churches are experiencing, boards are experiencing conflict, it's kind of my shaming line. <laughs> and that's that there should be no place in the church where the fruit of the spirit is more evident than when its leaders gather to discern the mind of Christ. Mm. And, and yet sometimes when we disagree on, on, on an issue, we immediately jump four or five verses in front of the fruit of the spirit and we start seeing the deeds of the flesh coming out and that, that ought not be. Mm-hmm. And if that happens, you know, occasionally it may happen. We need to stop right then, right now. Yes. Stop the meeting and let's fix what just happened. And that requires a certain amount of courage. Uh, it requires courage, especially I like to think that, you know, I mean, I know it doesn't always happen this way, especially smaller churches. The pickings may be slimmer, uh, you know, than in larger churches. Um, but you I just want our pastors. I want our board chairman. Um, I want, uh, you know, the, the veteran members of church boards to, to take responsibility to hold one another accountable. Yeah. yeah. You know, it is so tragic about what happened with Bill Hybels and, um, you know, that whole, that whole fallout from all that. And the, one of the biggest tragedies of, of what happened with Bill Hybels is, is and I thought about it because I was a huge I loved, I think Bill Hybels from a leadership standpoint had so many great things to say and his um, indiscretions and all that stuff to me doesn't negate the truth of what he's saying. And I only preface, I'm, I'm saying that to, to preface, I heard him say this one time and I've thought about it for years and he said, basically I'll paraphrase, you know whether you should retain or work with someone or hire someone by how you feel when they walk into the room. And that may be oversimplified, but I think what he was trying to say, and you, you, you hit on it, is you want to like the people that you're around. And honestly, if you have a bored guy that every time, like, and I guess I'd say if you're a pastor and you're listening to this and you have a board meeting coming up and you're secretly hoping that one of your board members like doesn't show up because he's sick or on vacation, that's a problem. Yeah, that's that's a big problem. You know, I, I, you often hear um, that the idea of the three C's in hiring people. I think they apply in, in selecting board members as well. You're you're looking for character, you're looking for competence, and you're looking for uh, chemistry. But there's really only one of those that you can train, and that's competence. Mm. You either come with character mm. or you don't. Your chemistry is either going to be good or it's not. And, and I think sometimes, um, you know, we forget. I, one of the things I like to say is never put a representative on your board. Yes. Like I'm here to represent, you know, pick something, senior adults, children's, you know, single adults, whatever. Uh, ne- because when they come in, when they're appointed to, with the purpose of representing a constituency in your church, that's what they do. That's their job. Do you see that a lot oh, in churches? Well, not a lot anymore. I think that message has come out. Okay. Uh, but but there's also is a need to have diversity. Yeah. And so, but diversity is not the driving factor. It's a it's a desirable outcome, but it's not the driving factor. Uh, our church, uh, many of our elders, we we prayed for years that uh, we could have a uh, uh, an elder that. Uh, comes out of our Spanish language congregation. Mm-hmm. Now I don't speak Spanish, so I'd have a real hard time in a meeting listening to someone in Spanish and it would just, it would hurt our, you know, so, you yeah. know, we would need someone that that was bilingual and all that stuff. And we prayed for decades for that to happen. And then a couple of years ago it did. And it was magic. But before that happened, one of the most interesting things, there were six uh, elders, seven, including our, our lead pastor, and three of the six of us actually spoke Spanish, which I found fascinating. Mm. And, and yet none of them attended the Spanish language uh, congregation. And then uh, one gentleman uh, rose, and, but we didn't pick him because he was there. We picked him because we thought he was, a, he was an elder quality person. Yeah, leave the representative governance to the government. Yeah, if if we if we if we start bringing on people to represent constituencies within the church, we become Congress. That's right, and we all know how they get along. Uh, yeah, <laughs> not my idea of a fun meeting. Right, and we all know how they uh, they are uh, 
perceived, right? The lowest approval rating right, right. of anybody. But you know, you know that that kind of brings to you know you'd ask two or three things. Mm-hmm. The third thing, yeah. I think fits in here fairly well, and that is this idea that one of the things that that mistakes that pastors make is not being intentional about ongoing skill development and leadership and in doctrine and knowledge, spiritual growth. Once you get people get on a board, I see this over and over and over again. Once someone is brought onto a board, even in churches that have a, a very structured pre-approval process, which I'm oftentimes not a big fan of. Yeah. Um, but once you get there, it's like it's over. And it's like, once you get there, you need to keep growing, you know, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to serve for a number of years and we should be growing together as a team, even as we bring on new members from time to time and old members, you know, move away. We should be growing together in our skill and our knowledge. And oftentimes I think that goes back to that issue you talked about where, you know, a pastor feels like, oh, I have these great ideas and vision and our board doesn't get it. I usually ask that pastor, I said, so what have you done over the last two years to bring your board along with you on this vision determining, you know, uh, journey that you've been on? Absolutely. I mean, it's really your job to train and to, to, to communicate and to lead and to get out ahead of that in some ways. What are some effective methods that pastors can, can do that, can hit that number three of the continuing training? Well, I think uh, among the things that pastors are probably, because again, they're vocational, they have more time devoted to their task of leadership than most of the, uh, the other elders would have. But I think one of the things that it, it would be the easiest thing to do is to carve out time in your meetings uh, or have a special meeting if you need to from time to time to take your board on the same journey you're taking. Talk with them about the books you're reading that are mm-hmm. shaping your worldview. Uh, talk about the, co- if you go to a conference, talk about it when you come back. Better yet, if you can, take one of your board members with you. Mm-hmm. So, and then you come back and you talk about what's going on. But if, if, if we can take people with us on our journey, then when the idea of some strategic or, or purpose-related change comes along, it's not a big surprise to everybody. Yeah. Because we've walked with you on that journey. We know where it's coming from. You know, we, uh, our board did several things, several times we've actually gone through Sticky Teams, your brother's book, um, that, and that's basically, that is our elder training manual. And we, what we do with that is we actually have guys read that when they're coming in. We, what, what we did was we had a year long, like we said, we, we'd kind of vet them at the beginning and then we'd say, okay, I want you to come to our meetings. Just come to our meetings. You can't vote. You can't do anything, but you're free, you're free to talk. You're free to engage. Please do that. And then we can evaluate whether or not we like this arrangement, you know, and it gave them a chance to become part of the elder culture before they were voted on or approved by the congregation. But it also gave them a chance to adjust their own, you know, expectations and behavior. But I think going through that book, there's also some other books as well that there, and there, there always could be, there's always something that you can be walking through, you know? Oh, oh yeah. And, and I think one of the things that, that, uh, in, in the secu- secular world, uh, oftentimes it's said that leaders are readers. Um, that's not necessarily, I think quite as true in the mm. church. It's a little bit of a different leadership for your elders. They're not individual uh, leaders, they're group leaders. Um, and so sometimes the, uh, the uh, uh, pre-service training requirements, in my mind, have a lot of extra, uh, extra biblical rigor um, that really isn't needed. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what I love to tell people is every time we, um, we uh, propose somebody for the congregation to affirm as elders, the response we want from the congregation whenever uh, possible is, well, of course you'd pick him. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. of course. We don't want it to be like, why in the world would you pick that person? You know, what, what have they ever done? So we, we want them to see people, the process you describe of in, inviting them to come. That's a great way to see if you have, if there's chemistry, right? If this person can fit, are they willing to, you know, participate? Um, I also think, uh, you know, just a little, 
um, manual. Uh, you know, we created a, a little, we call it an elder handbook that has just a few pages of, mm-hmm. of stuff on how we want to work together, uh, how we want to come to our decisions. You know, one of the things we say, which is a little bit funky sometimes, we say unanimity uh, or even unity is not the goal of our decision-making process. It's the outcome. The goal is to make the best decision possible under the circumstance. And once we figured out what that seems to be, then we'll unite around it. So mm-hmm. unity isn't the goal. It's, it's the mm-hmm. outcome of a mm-hmm. good, uh, good process. But we'll forget that, again, if we don't write it down and share it with, the, with incoming elders. Well, and when it's written down, whether it's a manual or a book, it's, it's like all eyes can be on it. And, and it's clear, going back to clarity as our friend, hey, this is, this is what we're what we're hoping to see. This is the type of behavior that we hope to, to have. This is the type of culture that we want to build and that we really are building here in our, in our particular elder board. And that does filter out to, to the rest of the church. You know, I think another great book, um, we took our staff through this was crucial conversations. I don't know if you have, if you've read that book, but it's basically gives you a language of how to have difficult conversations. And what I love about that is the expectation that we're going to have difficult conversations, but how do we do it constructively? And even that, and, and again, that will kind of guard the gate because it all kind of intermingles. That guards the gate against the guy that, that, that's just never thought about that or doesn't value it and sees this opportunity to be an elder as you know his chance to, to kind of throw his weight around or whatever else. So on that topic, what, what, do you say, what do you say right now to a pastor who's listening who's got a really difficult elder that they just go, man, how do I, like, how do I get rid of this guy? What, what do you what do you say to a person like that? Um, I every once in a while I get that phone call, and uh, <laughs> the the first question that I ask them is, re- relates to their governance documents because that describes how you do it. Because mm. there really isn't a, there isn't another way that that isn't uh, well outside the governance <laughs> documents, but you know things like is there a term? Sometimes the best thing to do is to wait them out let them leave because there's a term limit and then don't ask him back. But see that, but see, I want to, because that requires though, that the pastor really has a say in, in whether or not they're invited. Back. Right. They right. can't have an auto. You can't have, and that goes back to the governance document. You can't have this automatic, Oh, you sit out for a year and you automatically come back on. Right. I mean, there, there's every decision. Like, you, know, you talk about governance documents, policy, that kind of stuff. One of the things I like to share with, with decision makers is that every decision you make enables you to do one thing and prevents you from doing other things. Every time we make a decision, we choose one course at the expense of another course. And so uh, when it comes time to, to um, um, guarding your gate, the selection process in your governance documents is absolutely critical. I am so thankful for what appears to be the uh, continuing demise of the independent nominating committee mm. who gathers and decides who the elders are going to be and then foists their picks on the pastor and the other elders. I'm so thankful that that is going away. Not, not that, that, you know, boards just need to become insular, you know, self-perpetuating uh, boards, but why would we take the, um, the screening process of the church's leaders away from the church's leaders. Why Absolutely. would we do that? Absolutely. But now that, because there, there may be uh, churches in our district or even churches outside our district that, that people have gotten a hold of this podcast who say, yeah, that's that's what we do. And it's it's killing you. Two questions on that. First of all, you know, when we talk about, and pastors beat their heads against the wall, like why isn't my church growing? Um, how often does governance play a role in, in maybe even the overall growth and health of the church. Uh, because like, in other words, it's, it's something that's just not really seen as a, it's, it's, it's accepted. This is our governance, but we don't tie that necessarily to even the health and the growth of the church. Yeah. I, I think more than, than governance structures, enabling growth that, uh, bad governance structures will stop growth. Okay. So, uh, for that's instance, very good. The more, um, they can be an impediment, but I don't think they cause growth to happen. Okay. Um, so think of the, um, the impediment. One of the things is the more decisions that are reserved to the congregation, the smaller your church is going to be. 
because you can't function beyond the, the small family level. Okay, see, now that, that was worth the entire podcast right there, what you just said. Can you say that again? Yeah, it's just the more decisions that are reserved to the congregation, the harder it's going to be for the church to grow beyond just being a small family of believers. So it's not right for a pastor to kind of beat his head against the wall and say, oh, my, maybe I got to go preach better or change my whole ministry style or, you know, um, go rent a bigger facility. If he's not honestly looking at his governance structure and asking, maybe that's the problem. Oh yeah, absolutely. That, that should be something that's asked. One of the things I, one of the things I love being is a, a I'll say a consultant or coach mm-hmm. or a, a, an interested supportive third party, you know, and, and get that phone call from a pastor who is just really frustrated and say, well, instead of you deciding pastor that it's your structure, how about if you let me work with you and talk about stuff and actually look at your structure and, and, and let's talk about what are the issues that, you know, let's actually identify the specific problem. Don't not categories, but a specific instance. And let's get, you know, a whole catalog of those things together. And then let's talk about whether it actually is your structure or if there might be some other thing, because structure can be uh, a scapegoat for, for other issues. But uh, you know, there's mm. just certain, certain things, um, the way the, the governance documents describe the relationship between the uh, elders who are not paid and uh, typically the, the lead or senior pastor. How do your governance documents describe that relationship? What those two parties do together? Well, if that's, if that's set up as a supervisor-subordinate relationship where the board's job is to tell the pastor what to do and supervise him, I don't know very many pastors who want that job. It's just going to be constantly frustrating. You know, it's funny because uh, when I planted my church years back, um, I, I started and I didn't have elders because I didn't have a church. And then people started showing up and then, you know, one day this guy comes up to me and he says, well, you have elders. And I said, no. He says, are you going to have them someday? I said, well, we'll have them someday. And he said, well, who's going to pick them? Are you going to pick them? And I said, well, not you. (laughs) You're not going to pick them. I mean, who are you? Like, I don't know you. And I think there's like, we have to look out for these guys who, who, I had another guy came to me one time and, and I had, you know, I'll just be honest about it. He, he had kind of um, been around a bunch of different churches and, and he came up and said, you know, my, my job is to be a thorn in your side. You know, it's almost like there's this, there's this spiritual gift that some of these guys think that their job is to make, is to keep you in check. And my, so my question is, well, then who's keeping you in check? Yeah. I mean, I always, you know, one of the things is we're just too nice to people sometimes, you know, somebody comes up and says, my job is to be. Uh, uh, the thorn in your side. I, I just wish that we had, you know, and I'm including me in here because I'd probably be a nice guy too, but I just wish we had the, the wherewithal and, and use EFCA's own model, hand them a copy of God's word and say, and ask where stands it written mm. that that's your job. You know, let me show you Hebrews chapter 13. Let's talk about what your job is as a follower in the church. Well, yeah, and if you're just going to say that you're going to be a thorn in my side, then I'll just go to Scripture and do what Paul did and pray that God removes the thorn. Yeah, yeah, you know? why not? I mean, that's, but I, I, and this is important because yeah. I think a lot of this is like when we come to, you know, we've talked a lot about, uh, there's a lot out there about leaders who have abused power and that sort of thing, and I, and I know it's there, and we always have to, but we also need to, to be giving our leaders permission to lead and giving our, our leaders and pastors permission to look at someone who, who maybe they have a really low EQ Maybe they're just, they're not very skilled or experienced. Maybe they're just socially kind of awkward. Maybe they're just ungodly and just say, hey, you know what? I, I don't, I don't have to invite you onto this team. The same kind of thing goes too with, um, well, so-and-so, he's been at this church for so many years. We might as well give him a shot, right? Yeah, nobody gets a shot. Right. I say never pick a leader. Never pick someone to lead that you don't want to follow. Just don't do it. It's yeah, always good. wrong. I, I like to say, don't, don't, don't select any butts uh, to be on your board. And usually I'll get a quick, um, you know, uh, raised eyebrow and I say, well, you know what I mean? It's like, he's a great person, but mm. don't, don't put butts on your board. Yeah. You didn't say butt head. No, you no, just said, don't put B U T S don't put butts on your board. Exactly. So then 
what happens then when a when a pastor gets to the place where he says, "Okay, I really think it's time for a governance change." I mean, have you led churches through a governance change, and what is that process like? Because how do you how do you change documents that I mean, people freak out about that stuff and they accuse you, "Oh, you're trying to, you know, change the rules and wield power for yourself." How do you what do you how do you help people with that? Yeah, a cute uh, little expression I've heard is that churches should do some kind of a minor word change in their bylaws every three to five years just to remind people that they're there to be changed. Mm-hmm. But I think that's one of those areas where it's, it's actually helpful for a pastor and a board and a congregation to reach out to us in the EFCA West team. And this area that I specifically work in to help with that process. Uh, one of the things that congregations typically are is, is uh, suspicious of change because humans are suspicious of change. And so when, when, when pastors and boards uh, suggest changes, uh, oftentimes it's like, well, you know, the people wonder, is, is this mainstream Christianity uh, or are they going off the rails? And it can be very comforting to a congregation if early in the process, keywords, early in the process, um, someone from the denomination actually shows up at a business meeting and says, no, this is normal. This is what needs to be done. Mm. Um, you know, governance documents need to be changed based upon, you know, they, it's, it's kind of like, uh, what, one of, one of the stories I liked, uh, in the old Testament was when, uh, uh David was going to slay uh, Goliath and King Saul wanted David to wear his armor. And David put it on, and I, I, can't, I can't work with this. And oftentimes, somebody else's governance structures just don't fit. And sometimes our own structures just don't fit. And it doesn't matter if you're getting bigger or you're getting smaller. If your church is decreasing in size and your bylaws were last put together uh, when you had a big church for, for providing the operational systems and structure, infrastructure for a large church, when you're no longer a large church, you need to change your clothes so that they fit. And so a lot of times the church, when it's, when it's founded, they're highly congregational and they should be. They should. It's appropriate at that stage. But they get bigger and bigger and bigger and more complex, and but they never change their governance clothes. Mm. And then next thing you know, those systems and structures are become the impediment to growth. One of the things we did at our church, year, this was years ago, um, was that we, we had some formula. It was a Baptist church at, at the time, and it, it uh, had this formula like there shall be, they called their elders deacons. And that was one of the things we had read through scripture and, and it was our conviction that we actually should have elders and the pastor should be one of them, not like the king on the top of the pyramid. And so we rewrote those. But one of the things we got rid of was a formula that uh, was probably from the earliest days of the church that said something like there shall be one deacon or elder for the or there shall be five for the first 50 members and then one more for each additional 50 members or fraction thereof and we had 24 people sitting in the room trying to make a decision Mm. well you can't discuss anything with 24 people in a room so do you think that people um because sometimes they attach their governance structure to a biblical principle or they or they'll say well the only proper biblical governance is x Right. I mean, and that's that's a real problem. I think it's a big problem. Um, You know, I read uh, uh, I love the the purpose or the process of reading my Bible uh, through most every year. And I've never found a mandated structure. Hmm. Uh, It says this is how they don't even mention corporations. The state Mm -hmm. of California, Arizona, none of those states are mentioned. Um, and, and so, you know, we kind of make things up. There are principles there. Yeah. There are principles that are enduring. That's why and, I, yeah, I, yeah. I love the idea of elders. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think that's a great idea. Would it break my heart if we called it something else? No. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I don't think that was a, a, a requirement that we had to do it a certain way. And then, you know, a church that, uh, a church planter with a friend and three families is not going to have the same structure as a church of 12,000 or 1,000 or 800 or 350. They all require a different outfit to properly set them up and give them the infrastructure they need to make decisions. So if somebody wanted to call you and say, hey, Bob, help, you know, help us 
with this because this is what you do, right? This oh, is yeah. your thing. I'm one of those strange humans that actually likes writing policy, which is what governance documents are. I actually like writing them and troubleshooting them. Well, God bless you for that because yeah, I, I'm weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, not only do you like doing it, but you're good at it. And so you, you could, you could, one of the things that EFCA West uh, offers and one of the ways that we create value um, and add value to our churches is by leading them through these processes. So if you're a church that's growing or maybe you're going, you're a church that is declining. I mean, that's sad, but you, you want to be able to try to get to a place where you're growing again. And sometimes what can happen is when you're trying to fill all these slots, you can't be a church of 100 trying to still act like a church of 800. That's I, I, I was, I was consulting with a church, uh, a couple of years ago now where, um, they had, they had a bunch of committees and all kinds of things defined in their, uh, governance documents, their bylaws. And, they were debating whether or not they needed to change their structure. And one of the things I shared with them, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things I shared with them was uh, that I went through and I counted the number of board members that are required and committee members required. And you require more people to work in the governance of your church than you have people in your church. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, this is a real problem, but yeah, I, yeah. I love to help churches. I, I, it's a regular thing with me when a church contacts me about, um, you know, desire to look at whether they should or, or to ask for help with modifying their, their governance documents. I usually start with two things. One is I ask them to send me a copy of what they already have, because you always have to start where you are. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing I do is I ask them, what are you trying to accomplish? You know, I try to get it like, what is bothering you with what you have? Why, why is what you have a problem for you? Define the problem and then let's work together on a solution. I oftentimes get asked, do you have, you know, uh, a sample, a template for things? And it's like, well, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I collect, you know, some of those things, but I purposely don't have very many of them because one size doesn't fit all. That's why I think the most important questions uh, for those kinds of changes are where are you? Most important place on a map in terms of direction finding is usually it's the red X that says you are here. We have to know where we are to be able to figure out the way to where we wanna be. And again, you, you are available for this. And you know, we, we ask as a district, we say, hey, if you can cover Bob's expenses of just, you know, to travel out and meet with your leadership and whatever else, but you you don't charge a per hour. This is, this is one of the benefits of being a part of the Evangelical Free Church of America is we have experts on our team like this who can walk you through. So you don't have to worry about it all. And it can be, uh, you can really have a partner in that regard. Oh yeah. And, and one of the things is, you know, we, we I'm always happy to have some, I mean, I have a budget. It's, it's not a mm -hmm. huge budget, but I have a travel budget that mm -hmm. I can uh, charge things to. It's funded by churches who contribute to EFCA West. And we're very thankful for that. But those ministry dollars go further. If, uh, you know, if a church wants me to do some, some over and above work for them, if they help to offset some of those additional uh, costs, then we get to do more. But I always, always like to remind churches that can't afford it, that we're here for you. Yep. We're here for you anyway, whether you can or you can't. Absolutely. So then the, then the last thing in real, and I want to make sure we get this in too, because it, some churches and we'll, I, there's a whole other podcast I want to do with you on on Stratop, and I want to talk to you about that because that's another thing that you offer, uh, which is a multi-day strategic planning process that you are licensed through the Patterson Institute, and if you again if you are a part of our denomination, that is a massive value that you get. We did that at Compass Church out in Goodyear, Arizona, and we that set the course for us. Um, for the f at least the following, well, we did a year and a half ago. It's still setting the course. We identified some th some things that were that you know, like you said, start with where you are and that sort of thing. But the stratop is another thing, and the governance piece of it may factor into that at that point too. Oh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So then, Bob, tell us how how does someone get in touch with you if they want to? They, they say, "Man, this guy, I I got to get more of this. I gotta I gotta reach out. I need help. I just or maybe you just want to have a conversation. Maybe maybe your governance it 
doesn't need to like, you don't need to blow up the, the whole thing. You just need to kind of get, do some tweaks or, or it's causing you some problems. Or you just want some clarification because clarity is our friend. How do people get in touch with you? I like to suggest the best way to get a hold of me is email. I guess that's maybe a little bit old school now, but it's email. Uh, Bob.Osborne, O-S-B-O-R-N-E at E-F-C-A dot O-R-G. The nice thing about email is it gives me a nice record and I can also put up the little out of office things if I'm gone somewhere. The bad thing about putting out my cell phone number is that is in fact my cell phone number and uh, I, I can't quite get to all the calls that show up. In fact, while we were talking here, I'm getting a call. Mm, um, you're a busy so guy. So once, once we meet over email, then uh, you'll end up with the cell phone number and and uh, text messaging becomes the the most efficient way to do the hey let's talk on the phone kind of thing but i always like to stop with bob.osborne at efca.org let me know what you're interested in and then i'll get back at like they say you know on the message thing i'll get back to you as soon as i can mm-hmm. usually within a day or two mm-hmm. yeah and you you keep uh you, you just, you're a hardworking guy. You're, you're out, you're moving, you're going. And I, and I know you, I know there's nothing more that you want. Sometimes I think churches feel like, oh, I don't want to be a problem. I don't want to take up time. And it's so funny because that's, that's even what a lot of our congregation members do, right? They say, I don't want to bother the pastor. I know it's like, no, that's why we're here. Yeah, please call. You know, I, yeah. I, I a couple of uh, uh, real quick stories. Uh, one of them, I spent the last 20 or so years in my career being on call 24, seven, 365. Mm. And that's a little foreign to a lot of people in ministry, but I mean, I'm just used to that. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't care. I'll, I've, I've called people on vacation when the crisis is big enough, you know, and the, and the thought of, of me saying, no, oh, I'm busy right now. You know, when somebody reaches out and they want a lifeline for something, uh, I, I just feel obliged to call. Um, but the other thing is, uh, oh gosh, there was another story. Where did it go? It just disappeared. I got so excited about the about the phone thing, but we'll save that story for the next podcast. You'll have to you'll have to listen. There will be more podcasts on this because I think this is this has been such a fantastic conversation. And oh, I wanted to just go back to one more thing uh, to remind. We talked about training elders, or we talked about continual training. And again, I'll go back to it. I think one of the best opportunities that you have, whether you're a pastor or even an elder um, staff member, anyone listening to this, is to come out June 18th and 19th to our district conference at North Coast. And because, and if you, and bring your team with you, bring your team. Absolutely. Because the, again, you, you know how it is when you get people out of the typical environment and you get them riding in a van together or in a couple cars together or whatever on, you know, you're having the conversations on the road. And what we always like to do at Compass, when we went out to places like North Coast, that was a larger campus than what we had and in kind of a bigger operation than us. It, it helped our, it helped our people see what was possible. Not that, not that they hadn't seen things like that before, but to have it connected to our tribe and have, and, and have those connections, like those relational connections and go, and you just get ideas and it does tend to break down some of those walls that maybe have been lingering for a while. We don't even know how they got there. So June 18th and 19th, our district conference, we're going to give you more information on, on that, uh, in terms of how to register and everything else. But for now, um, Bob, Man, thank you. That was fantastic, and I can't wait for the next one. Don't forget you to like us on Facebook at our, our Facebook page, EFCA West. That is a great way to keep in touch with what's happening all throughout the week. We're trying to post stuff to tell you where we are, what we're doing, the life, and the amazing stories. There are some amazing stories coming out of our churches that God is doing. Um, remember, our, our mission is we are multiplying transformational churches among all people. The vision for EFCA West is that we would see what's seen in Acts 16, 5, that the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in number daily. Hey, thanks so much for listening to this podcast.